Hi there, it's Kaya here, and on today's episode of the DEA podcast, you're going to be hearing about the review of the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, which is abbreviated to the EPBC Act. It's the Commonwealth Government's major piece of environmental law, and it's reviewed every 10 years to assess whether it is meeting its objectives and see where it needs to be improved. So Kaya, I've come up with a new name for Bo, and it's Boss Boss. It's Boss Bo. Oh yeah, and Boss Bo has decided that today we need to do some deep and meaningful conversation. For everyone listening, Bo is our executive producer, and we love him dearly. But he feels we need to make this podcast more personable. Um, and so today, to start off with, we are going to be asking each other a little bit about how we got into environmental health and DEA and why we're interested in this stuff. Um, so, Karen, tell me about your life story. Envi- the environment's always been my passion and specifically how um, how environmental hazards affect health. Like, I've actually been interested in it since year 10. And I did my, f- I did my first ever research project on um, environmental health, like looking at how toxic coins are. Um, and so that's kind of been the thing I've always been interested in. And I think it's just, it must be my nature because it's been that way for a long time. Um, so I've always wanted to work on environmental issues. And more and more I'm starting to see that the issues that we're facing are so big that the only way we can address them is with a huge amount of effort from so many people. And that's why I've started seeing that my efforts are really probably better placed um, engaging with more people. I mean, that's incredible. Um, I think it's ad- admirable, ad- admirable. <laughs> what is the word I'm trying to say? Admirable. I think it's admirable because I, I guess I came from kind of the opposite. I grew up on a farm, which sounds like it would be quite environmental, but my dad was very right wing and was like, climate change doesn't exist the whole way I was growing up. Like liberal voting, family. And it was only really sort of when I started going to uni and I was like, oh, wow, like this climate change thing is like truly terrifying. Um, and then sort of got into it in this weird lateral way by doing some website design for Code Green for AMSA. Um, and then the more I started finding out about climate change, I was like, how is everyone not completely panicked about this? Um, yeah, I think so. And you've kind of come at it from um, – like you're really big in, in engagement and community campaigns where I've, I kind of came up from it from the research direction and now mm. I'm trying to find where we can get a balance in between those things. Yeah, because they're both so important as well. You need both of those things to be successful, I think. Um, and I've, I think especially when I was doing more stuff with um, like direct action groups, I found a really great sense of community of people that also – I guess were also outraged by what was happening in the world and felt that direct action was the best way to achieve things. But you can't, you can't win with a single no, approach. 
what what I love so much about DEA is that the members of DEA don't have to do their own primary research, but they do such excellent um, reviews of the literature and they have such interesting ways of summarising it and communicating it to people. And I think it's um, it's something I aspire to, to be able to kind of take those issues and then make them into something that mm. other people can be engaged with as well. Totally. I was feeling that today when I was reading through this cat's face. It's so good. <laughs> can we have more cats in our podcast, please? Uh, I wish everyone could so see the cat a, on Zoom I have this right cat. <laughs> My cat, he just really likes to be involved. So whenever we have Zoom meetings, he's like, oh, I'm there. He's actually really knowledgeable. He knows a lot about medicine <laughs> and, and, the, and the environment. <laughs> Amazing. What I was going to say, <laughs> what I was going to say then, when you were talking about how well um, DEA can provide this information, how well it gets it across, um, I was thinking this today when I was reading the DEA submission for the EPBC because it was such an incredible submission, so well written, and it sort of um, it gave me that feeling again of when I first realised that climate change was like a real like a huge problem. Like I was reading through this again and I felt completely refreshed and immediately panicked again, being like, oh my God, this is all really terrible. How have I forgotten about all of this? And it's, I think DEA does a really wonderful job at getting that information across in a really rational way without catastrophizing things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that's always, um, it's really important because DEA is an organisation of doctors and we all do practice evidence-based medicine and I think it's really a great approach to take into environmental issues as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess that is a good place to lead us on to today's topic for the episode, which is about the EPBC Act, otherwise known as the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. Fantastic. Sound good? Yeah. It's a lot of words, but it's also a really big topic today. It is a big topic. Um, and doctors and medical students listening might be wondering why should we should be so concerned about environmental law. I, I know. I think any doctor or medical student who's been to a med review will know that they're sworn enemies. <laughs> Very specific UQ. <laughs> line there um but yes it is a really useful topic to explore early in our podcasting journey because it is a really great opportunity to demonstrate some of the ways that the environment impacts how environment impacts health um and understand what environmental actions can be taken to protect human health um it is a massive topic to undertake for a podcast um but time is precious so we shall cram the facts in Cram indeed. Okay, so time is short, so we better introduce our special guest. Um, today's special guest is Catherine Baraclough, and she is a nephrologist who has done great things to improve hospital sustainability, but also has a keen interest in biodiversity and is on the DEA Biodiversity and National Committee. Uh, she recently helped draft DEA's submission to review the EPBC Act, uh, which I highly recommend that everybody have a read of as well. Me too. It's really good. So welcome, Catherine. Hi, Karen and Kaya. Thank you for having me. 
So delighted to have you on the podcast today. Um, We'll be covering a lot of ground, as we've already mentioned, but before we start, I'd like to acknowledge country. Um, A really large part of the EPBC Act review is about recognising the importance of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's knowledge and their involvement in caring for country. Um, And so before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we are recording this podcast, and we would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I'd like to recognise as well that there can be no climate justice without justice for First Nations people. Thanks, Kai. I mean, I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the various regions of Australia, um, and I suppose especially the way that they have cared for and lived in harmony um, with Australian land for tens of thousands of years before colonisation. I think that's incredibly relevant and important for this topic and podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I guess we'll start. Catherine, can you tell us what is the EPBC Act? Um, so really, so as you said, it stands for the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. But, um, you know, in short, it's Australia's primary piece of environmental law. So it's, it's the primary piece of legislation in place to make sure that our environment is protected? Um, I think at first glance, sometimes it's kind of hard to understand how biodiversity affects human health as well, because it's such a huge topic and it's everything around us. It's sometimes hard to make that conceptual link. Um, So, Catherine, how would you um, explain to someone the importance of biodiversity on human health? Um, I suppose it comes down to the fact that human health is fundamentally dependent on environmental health. So, you know, as humans, we rely on all the other species on Earth and the environment we share to provide us um, not just with the necessities for health, but but really for our survival. So things like clean air, clean water, um, food security, a stable climate. Um, A good quote we included in DEA's submission to the EPBC Act Review um, was one from David Attenborough, who recently said that, you know, the plain fact is that every mouthful of food you eat comes from the natural world, every lungful of air that you take is refined by the natural world, um, oxygen breathed out by plants, and if you can't breathe and eat, you don't exist. And I think that sort of really sums up um, why the environment absolutely matters to health. Uh, but then I suppose the environment does so much more than, than simply fulfil these sorts of basic needs. Um, it's also involved in processing our waste and protecting us from infectious diseases. It serves as a place for recreation, um, it's a place or a source of healthy long-term jobs in areas like tourism. Um, and really importantly, it also fosters our mental well-being. You know, it does this to some extent for all of us, but for some cultural and spiritual groups, it does so in a really fundamental way. And I think you know, Aboriginal Australians are the obvious example here. Um, they describe a really profound connection to land and this is to the extent that Aboriginal law and spirituality are really intertwined with it and it forms the basis mm. of their culture. I mean, I could go on, but hopefully this is enough to show that environmental <laughs> protection is a human health issue. You know, environmental legislation is in a way a form of health legislation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, biodiversity is so so huge and impacts human health in pretty much every single way. I think it's almost yeah. so mammoth. People just can't even imagine how it affects it. Mm. It's so obvious and fundamental that we tend to overlook it. Mm. But um, Yeah. Yeah. So basically we need healthy functioning ecosystems because the greater diversity of species that exist, um, the more likely you'll have resilience in the face of threats. So, um, you know, the more likely um, an ecosystem will be stable and survive and support us over time. But then I suppose the other aspect to it is that 
the reason you've got to look after one species is that we're all part of a big system and every species depends mm. on another. So if you wipe one out, um, the flow-on impacts can be incredible. Um, you know, the natural world is sort of so naturally balanced and if we upset that, um, you know, there are consequences. But the other thing is that the more species you have, the more resilient an ecosystem is and the more able it is to withstand you know, threats and, and challenges. Um, yeah, sure. So, Catherine, um, I know the EPBC Act review is something that we do every 10 years. Um, and could you tell us, like, why do we do it every 10 years? Um, I suppose the, the, the reason that was... Um, the reason that we review it every 10 years is to make sure that it's fit for purpose. Obviously, circumstances, um, the world changes over time, and so um, the EPBC Act, any bit of legislation will have to be updated to keep up with the times. I think this particular review is so important because um, I think it's fair enough to say that over the 20 years since its inception, the Act has abjectly failed to protect our environment. Um, you know, Australia is one of the most naturally beautiful and biologically diverse countries on the planet. You know, most of our species are found nowhere else. You know, 85% of our land mammals, somewhere close to 90% of reptiles and frogs and our flowering plants. Um, but we have an absolutely appalling environmental record. We have the highest rate of mammal extinctions in the world. Um, we have the second highest rate of biodiversity loss of any country, um, beaten only by Indonesia. We've been globally recognised as a deforestation hotspot. We're the only developed country to make it onto that hotspot list. Um, Terrible, isn't it? Our water table, yeah, it's, it's really um, yeah, terrible. Um, our yep. water tables are, are being irreparably damaged by poorly regulated resource projects at the same time as our rivers are struggling to sustain wildlife, farmers, communities that depend on them. So yeah. Um, yeah. So it sounds like one of the reasons it's reviewed is to see whether it's achieving its objectives. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. And yeah. it's it sounds like it's not achieving. And also, I suppose, also, I suppose, to make sure that its objectives are still up for, uh, fit for purpose. So whether it's doing mm. the job it was meant to do. So, Catherine, what are the objectives of the EPBC Act? Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose. Some of the key objectives of the Act are to provide for the protection of, of the environment and especially matters that are considered to be of national environmental significance. Um, and, and the other sort of major objective is to conserve Australia's biodiversity. Now, as, as I said, we've got incredible biodiversity um, and so a, a primary function of the Act is supposed to be to protect Okay, that. and so oh. I have to say, after reading the submission, after reading the DEA submission, um, I get the feeling that it has not achieved any of those things. Um, that's right. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, as I said, I, I think it's fair enough to say that it, it's really abjectly failed to protect our environment since it came into force 20 years ago. I just ago. found it so surprising how um, few things get triggered to be reviewed by the Act. And then I found it really surprising that um, so few endangered or threatened animals or species in Australia actually have plans in place to protect them. And then I I guess the other things oh, I found absolutely. really interesting yeah, from incredible. it were that um, like if there is critically endangered ecosystems or habitats, um, they're only protected on Commonwealth land. And so it's really hard to have a comprehensive mm. approach to protecting threatened species um, with the Act in the way it is at the moment. But then even the animals that had a lot of their habitat on Commonwealth land, they still weren't protecting still it protecting. anyway in most of the cases. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean the concept that it's up to the minister to decide, um, you know, which threatened species has a recovery plan developed is just um, absurd, really. I mean, there's so much yeah, within ludicrous. the act that's up to ministerial yeah. discretion. The one person who's put in that position. So obviously, how do you think it could be improved? Um, well, DA is actually part of a coalition of environment and health groups called the Places You Love Alliance, and this is a group that's come together um, really with the primary objective of calling for an entirely new generation of environmental law in Australia. Um, and this is because the Alliance and DEA included really feel that the flaws in the Act are too many and too great to be addressed by amendments alone. You know, the law needs rewriting altogether. It's 20 years old. It's not doing its job. Um, the world and the threats to the environment are changing so rapidly. Um, there's a group called the Australian Panel of Experts on Environmental Law, and they've actually done some of this rewriting. They've developed a blueprint for a new environmental law. Um, and the Places You Love Alliance and DEA supports this framework. Um, this said, um, um, under the current government, it's very unlikely that we will see a complete rewriting of the law. Um, so therefore, we have to sort of think about what sort of things are our primary asks or the most important to change. And I think a really major one is that the Act doesn't address climate change in any real way, um, despite mm, the magnitude totally. of threat this poses to our environment and to health. Um, the, the State of the Environment report from 2016 for Australia clearly stated that climate change is the biggest future threat to our environment, yet our primary environmental law doesn't deal with it in any substantial way. Um, you know, Another major, major issue in Australia is water. There is a water trigger in the Act, and what that means is that water resources are considered to be a matter of national environmental significance, and so when something, for instance, a mining project is proposed that will have impact on our water supplies, it needs to be assessed under the Act to make sure that it, it, it won't threaten our water resources. Um, but the problem is that the water trigger only applies to coal seam gas and large coal mining developments. It doesn't, for instance, apply to shale gas projects, despite the fact that this also uses huge quantities of water. Um, another major issue that we see is that there's no land clearing or deforestation trigger. Um, you know, the way that Australian environmental law is currently structured, most of the powers relating to land clearing lie with the states and territories. And, and what this leads to is really inconsistent approaches to regulation and very frequent utilisation of loopholes, particularly for big agricultural and mining and urban development projects. You know, it really is a major issue that state and territory governments responsible for environmental decision-making are often reliant on the money from royalties and taxes from projects that they're assessing. Hmm. I was just going to talk, mention when you were saying about the water triggers, when I was reading the submission as well, I thought it was really interesting with the Adani mine. Um, it didn't trigger because it had to do with the rail line as opposed to the actual yeah. mine itself. And so it fell out of it and he was allowed to have all that water. Yeah, I mean, I think we made the comment that that was really narrow interpretation of the law. So, you know, that was mm. really the people that wanted that project to go ahead, twisting the law to suit their purpose. Yeah. Um, so that's one that's problem, wild. that there, there's room for that kind of interference, um, even though they're not really abiding by, um, you know, the, the, what... The, the what do you call it the the spirit the of spirit. it was yeah th yeah exactly yeah. That's exactly right um, but another issue is that um, there are huge things that are excluded from the act entirely you know it doesn't matter how you look at it or interpret it if you for instance mm. are doing a, a shale gas project that that won't be assessed it doesn't trigger the act yeah. at all um, so just some really sort of major deficiencies um, native forest logging is another one there's there's really mm. 
little or no federal oversight at all due to the existence of regional forestry agreements. And what they, these do is completely defer regulatory powers to state governments. Um, you know, and they entirely exempt public native forest operations from the application of the Act, which means the Commonwealth Government has no power to intervene. And, you know, even, for instance, when logging involves certain species habitat, you know, no other industry has this kind of exemption. Um, so I guess and somewhere we could move on from here is looking at some of um, other examples of how the EPBC has been performing in relation to environmental problems and health. Um, so a recent example would be how do you think that the current state of the EPBC impacted on bushfires this year? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to talk about is is the really appalling effect that the fires had on our environment and biodiversity. And, you know, it was estimated, mm. as, as everyone will know, that there were over 1 billion animals that, that perished in the fires, um, unknown numbers of insects, 10 million hectares of land burnt, which included at least 80% of, of the Blue Mountains World Heritage Area. Um, you know, some preliminary government data suggests that there were more than 49 species that lost, it, threatened species that lost at least 80% of their habitat in the fires. Um, you know, the impact on species not currently listed as threatened is yet to be assessed and may never be, but is also likely to be huge. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and then there were the human health impacts. You know, there are, um, as everyone knows, 33 people that died, thousands displaced. Um, one study has estimated that the smoke pollution over eastern Australia resulted in over 1,300 emergency department visits, 3,000 hospitalisations, and, and, and as well as 400 excess deaths. So I think that's sort of the perfect um, illustration of how a, an environmental disaster is also a disaster for human health. Absolutely. Um, it, to get back to your question of how the EPBC Act failings contributed to this, you know, this comes down to the fact that the Act doesn't address climate change. Um, as I said earlier, it's really unfathomable when you think about it that our environmental law doesn't address the biggest threat to our environment you know, and such a massive threat to human health. Um, I know what you're talking about with the fires, with the massive effect, I know that there's a study that came out recently from ANU that found that 15% of Australians were directly affected um, and then 80% were indirectly affected, which is just massive, isn't it? Huge numbers, yeah. I, I can understand that, though. I mean, I live in a major capital city and, uh, I mean, I, I couldn't let my young kids outside to play in the smoke. I had patients that, you know, had exacerbations of, of respiratory disease that I, you know, I saw day after day in hospital. So, um, you know, I suppose that, to me, that's not surprising. Um, I'm just, you know, one of many people in Australia and saw many impacts. And I suppose the other thing is that, you know, I, I personally found that entire period and absolutely devastating and I think that was a really widespread feeling amongst so many Australians. I think so, yeah. So, you know, to me, the, the physical and mental... I know, I'd say, um, if we want it confirmed, in fact, so the study also found that at least 50% of people reported anxiety about the bushfires. Um, so when you think about how many people were affected and how high that anxiety level was, it's just huge. Um, I think it... Yeah, to be honest, though, I'm surprised that that wasn't yeah. higher. Um, I, I would have <laughs> thought that. I mean, Agreed. there was just such a. I, I think it would be very hard for any Australian not to have been touched in some yeah, way. That's right. Seeing all those images. Mm, that's right. And, so I think it's yeah. um, it shows that there's actually a huge community concern too. Community concern about biodiversity, um, drought, natural disasters has really been increasing over the past decade, and I think that's an important consideration when the EPBC Act is reviewed as well. 
um, and also as doctors advocating on behalf of our patients. Uh, this is something they're concerned about, so it's really worth our while trying to do what we can about it. Yes, yeah, I completely agree. Um, so we talked a bit earlier about um, drought, um, and obviously that's linked to the bushfires as well because we know that they came in the middle of a drought that hasn't resolved in some places. Um, so mm. last year the town I was uh, living in ran out of water, and we've talked a little bit about how the EPBC relates to water, um, but do you see any other kind of ways that it's letting us down? Um, so under the Australian Constitution, states and territories have ultimate responsibility for water resources, but at the same time there are numerous federal policies and laws that also govern and regulate water extraction and allocation. So this is not just an EPBC Act. Um, the EPBC Act is not the only bit of law that is involved in this area. But the problem is that all these different bits of legislation and policies have created this really complex web of control that has proven, for the most part, grossly inadequate at protecting our water resources. I mean, I talked a bit about the issue with mining, but I think the very best example is the current situation in the Murray-Darling Basin. And so this is a region which supports a diverse range of plants and animals and ecosystems. It provides one-third of the nation's food and it supplies drinking water to over three million people, and yet it's currently approaching collapse. The the major factors contributing to the water crisis in the basin include poor architecture of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, particularly the fact that it fails to account for declining river flows due to climate change, um, but also multiple failings of governance and regulation, political deals, possible corruption. We really need a major reform of water law. We need laws in place that prevent this sort of mess. Absolutely. I mean, one thing we put in the submission that might be worth saying here is just the fact that the importance of effective water management for environmental and human health in Australia just can't be overstated. You know, we're the driest continent yeah. on earth. Um, you know, it's not going too far to say that the health and well-being of the present and future generations of Australia absolutely depend on us getting this right, and, and we're not at the moment. I agree. I really see the future of so many cities and towns in Australia completely depending on whether we can secure a water supply. Um, And that doesn't really just mean infrastructure, but it also means protecting the environment as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, I mean, as you say, you're in a town that ran out of water. I, as a kidney specialist, am involved with dialysis. There were towns in regional Australia that were unable to dialyse patients in the current drought because dialysis uses so much water. You know, there are already very oh, wow. clear, clear health impacts. Absolutely, yeah. Um, oh, that's crazy. Um, so I guess just those two things alone, the bushfires and the water, make it pretty obvious that one of the biggest issues with the EPBC is that it doesn't really address climate change, which also affects these things. Um, so I guess it would be good to talk as well about what kind of avenues – um, could the EPBC change to mitigate the effects of climate change? Yeah, so um, the the main thing that, that we have been, we and, and many other groups have been calling for is the inclusion of a greenhouse gas trigger in the Act. And so what that would mean is that where there's a project that's going to lead to substantial greenhouse gas emissions, it has to be assessed under federal environment law. And if, if it um, you know, exceeds the trigger or it's going to have a substantial negative impact then the project therefore couldn't go ahead. Um, so, so that's sort of something we've specifically called for. Um, you know, I mentioned there was a water trigger 
a problem with that was that that's too narrow. Another thing we've called for is that, that the water trigger applies to all um, mining or, or resource extraction projects. Um, the other thing is that we've asked for exactly the same thing with deforestation and land clearing. They should be considered a matter of national environmental significance when there is substantial land clearing and deforestation. They should trigger the Act. You know, they should be um, a, that particular event or episode or project should be um, assessed by federal environment law. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how how much of the EPBC at the moment is actually done by groups that are independent of the government or sort of at arm's length from the government? Uh, not, not enough. So that's another major thing that DEA and the entire Places You Love Alliance has called for. Um, you know, we think it's really important that new federal institutions are developed um, to improve governance and accountability, and, and this includes an independent national EPA to administer mm. environment law at arm's length from the government, um, and also a national environment commission to set national environment standards. You know, develop national and regional environment plans and report on national environment performance, and the independence of these institutions from government. Is, is vitally important. You know, what, what that would do is remove the influence of politics from environmental assessments and advice and decision-making you know, and the application of law. Okay, so, so we've covered heaps of ground today, or tonight, um, including what the EPBC Act covers, um, how it could be improved, a lot of examples of how it actually impacts on health. And we talked about a lot of examples about health hazards that are impacted by how we manage the environment. Um, so, Catherine, I think given that we covered so much information, it'd be really great to hear what your leaving thoughts are. I think the primary message is that human health is fundamentally dependent on a healthy planet. And because of this, we need to protect our environment for the sake of health. Um, we absolutely need stronger laws and doctors and other health professionals have a really important role to play in speaking out about this. How do you think people can get involved in it? And I think a good place to start would be having a look at some of DEA's resources. We've got a fantastic um, biodiversity policy. The submission's got a lot of information in it. Um, so just learning a bit about the links between the environment and human health. Um, the review is at the point where the report, um, the preliminary or draft report, is about to be released. That should come out any day now. Um, following that, there'll be an opportunity for more feedback. So uh, I suppose watch this space. We will probably be calling out for people to um, respond um, and really just to highlight to the review panel and the government that there are lots of people that recognise this environment health connection um, and, and want that considered in the form of the law. We're, when we were talking about the need for, fed, for independent institutions, mm. um, it's really we think it's really important there are people with health expertise involved. I find that so wild that that's not a thing already. Like, surely that would be a prime spot for a public health physician yeah, or yeah, someone with that yeah. interest to be placed. Yeah, when you're dumping a chemical into a waterway, it's nice to know what that'll do. Yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, on, on the review panel, on the, you know, for the, for the act, there was no ecologist. I think that's almost more, you know, it's, it's, headed, by, it's, he, it's headed by a businessman, which is no. Wait, I thought more, you just said mycologist. My, I thought you said there was no mycologist, and I was like, well, I guess that's all right. And then I realised you said no, 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 no ecologist. No, no, no. Ecologist. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, I just couldn't believe you. How? Wait, how? Really? 
Yeah, no. It's, um, yeah, no, no. I mean, the, the, the concept of putting a businessman at the, the head of it is, I think, probably sums it all up. Yeah. Well, brilliant. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you, guys. You're, you're amazing. Thank you so much. I'm so impressed. I almost feel like you must study flashcards to have all these facts that you can just rattle off. <laughs> no, all good. So thanks for listening to our show today. You can hear a little bit more about the letter that DEA wrote about the EPBC Act review and the importance of biodiversity. Then, if you'd like, you can check out links to resources in the show notes. Yep, as Karen just said, to end this podcast, we'll be hearing from Dr. Dimity Williams and Dr. Marion Curry reading an open letter that's been signed by more than 180 health professionals and leading health groups um, warning the federal government must strengthen Australia's weak environment laws to protect our health. And as always, you can find more information about Doctors for the Environment Australia at www.dea.org.au or check us out on all the usual social media platforms. See ya. See you again next month. We, the undersigned, are health and medical professionals and organisations who work to protect and promote human health. We wish to draw attention to the current review of the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, 1999, the EPBC Act, and its importance to the health of Australians. Human health and wellbeing are fundamentally dependent on the health of the natural world. Healthy, biodiverse ecosystems provide us with clean air and water, food and fibre, regulate our climate, pests and diseases, and are the source of most of the medicines we rely on. They also provide places for recreation, psychological rejuvenation and spiritual connection. Connecting with nature leads to happier, healthier communities. Conversely, as biodiversity and ecosystems decline or are lost, the benefits that nature provides to humans are compromised and human health and wellbeing suffer. We note that the PBC Act review is occurring during a period where Australia has experienced back-to-back crises of extraordinary scale in the 2019 to 2020 black summer bushfires and now the COVID-19 pandemic. These events highlight the fundamental interdependence between humans and the natural world and the consequences for human health when this is ignored. It is widely accepted that the summer fires were in part fuelled by human-induced climate change. The fires caused unprecedented loss of animal life and ecological devastation, but also direct loss of human life, physical injuries and the displacement of many thousands of people. The prolonged smoke pollution over eastern Australia is estimated to have resulted in over 1,300 presentations to emergency departments with asthma, more than 3,000 hospitalisations for heart and lung problems and 417 excess deaths. The mental health impacts are likely to be evident for decades. Climate change, biodiversity loss and human health were not widely considered to be related at the time the EPBC Act was enacted in 1999. However, it is now understood they are inextricably linked. The devastated COVID-19 pandemic is thought to have originated in pathogens from other species, as with other infectious diseases before it, such as Ebola, SARS and hendrovirus. At the heart of this transmission is a disregard for animal welfare and destruction of habitats with wildlife treated as a commodity 
and human communities encroaching on previously undeveloped areas. We must protect the natural environment in order to prevent further and potentially even more deadly pandemics. The EPBC Act has failed to achieve its objectives of protecting Australia's environment and promoting ecologically sustainable development and biodiversity conservation. Australia currently has the second highest rate of biodiversity loss in the world and is globally recognised as a land clearing and deforestation hotspot. Our scarce water resources are in decline, threatening the survival of numerous rural and regional communities, our agricultural productivity and our food security. Some of our marine habitats, including the Great Barrier Reef, face collapse. Climate change, one of the biggest threats to our natural environment, biodiversity and to human health, is not considered by the EPBC Act at all. The degradation of Australia's natural environment and loss of our unique biodiversity is in effect a dismantling of our life support systems. By failing to properly protect our environment, we fail to protect ourselves. In reforming Australia's environmental laws, we urge that human health considerations are kept front and centre. While our precious natural environment deserves protection for its own sake, human health and wellbeing also depend upon it. An entirely new generation of environmental law is considered, as developed by the Australian Panel of Experts on Environmental Law. Much greater and more robust environmental protections will be required if we are to survive and thrive as a community into the future. The institutions responsible for developing and delivering national environmental law include individuals with public health expertise. This will ensure our environment and our health are seen as an integrated and indivisible whole.